Good morning. It's Sunday, October 25th. Welcome to this at-home resource for spiritual growth during this time of pandemic as we're transitioning from stay-at-home orders to having the opportunity to gather in person once more in an outdoor setting at Redeemer Lutheran Church. You can follow along with the order of service as it appears on the screen in this presentation, or you can also download a PDF of the worship folder from our website, print it off, and follow it along, uh, follow along at home that way as well. Uh, God bless your worship today uh, as we consider what it means to join Jesus on his mission, um, specifically to heed his warning for what joining him will all entail. It was in Eden that Satan destroyed the peace that existed between God and his human creatures. It was in Eden where the tragic cry began, Lord, have mercy on us, show us your face, deliver us from Satan's hold. When the time was right, God acted. He sent his Son to do for his creatures what they could not do for themselves. Jesus Christ lived and died and rose again to restore peace and renew the divine image that had been lost. The church was born to carry the message of Christ to the world. We shall not die but live and declare the praises of God. Satan was not finished. He challenged the church's faith and mission, but God preserved his church, often quietly, sometimes with only a whisper. Even in the depths of darkness, the light of grace flickered. In the fourth century, as Satan attacked the deity of Jesus, the church confessed, We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God. In the fifth century, as Satan challenged the doctrine of the Holy Trinity, Now this is the true Christian faith. We worship one God in three persons and three persons in one God, without mixing the persons or dividing the divine being. For each person, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, is distinct. But the deity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is one, co-equal in glory and co-eternal in majesty. Through the centuries, the battle continued. Often Satan seemed to be the victor. The cry of God's people went before his throne. Lord, have mercy on us, show us your face, deliver us from Satan's hold. When the time was right, God acted. He raised up a man, Martin Luther, a man often plagued by weakness and doubt, but God used that man to be a messenger of the everlasting gospel. Lord Jesus, you are my righteousness, and I am your sin. The just shall live by faith alone. God is our refuge and strength, and ever-present help in trouble. Here I stand, I can do no other. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, our refuge and strength, pour out your Holy Spirit on your faithful people. Keep them steadfast in your word, protect and comfort them in all temptations, defend them against all their enemies, and bestow on the church your saving peace. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The law makes it impossible to be our own defense, but all are saved by God's grace in Christ Jesus. The reading today is Romans chapter 3, verses 19 to 28. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law, rather through the law we become conscious of our sin. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. 
This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. Because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith, apart from works of the law. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Lord gives His people the strength to proclaim His Word in spite of persecution. The Holy Gospel today is Matthew chapter 10, verses 16 to 23, and this Gospel is the basis for today's sermon. Jesus said, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to you, O Christ.
After today, we're halfway through our eight-week series on what it means to join Jesus on his mission to expand his kingdom by the proclamation of the gospel. And partially according to plan, but mainly by happy coincidence, today is the annual festival of the Lutheran Reformation of the Church, and it comes right in the middle of our eight-week series. See, it was during the Lutheran Reformation that, that one of the most decisive events in Christian history took place at the Imperial Diet of Worms. It was this big gathering of, of the whole imperial authority with the emperor himself there. And there was a lowly monk who had asked too many inconvenient questions of a corrupt and decadent religious bureaucracy who was hauled before the combined power of pope and emperor and asked. In fact, it was really demanded of him to recant his radical notion that the gospel of Jesus Christ should have the final say in the the church of Jesus Christ. Of course, this is an opinion that we take for granted today, but at the time, this was revolutionary. And on that day, that monk, named Martin Luther, he was fully convinced that he was going to be executed because he had decided the night before, in prayer, to take a stand on the gospel. And so that day at the Diet of Worms, he defied all the might of human authority, and he stood on the power of the gospel alone. And remarkably, the God he trusted preserved him, and the gospel he proclaimed changed the course of human history. And so today, we are heirs of the Reformation. We have inherited a great gift. We enjoy the kind of spiritual peace and well-being that had been all but lost over centuries of abuse. And so today's gospel from Matthew chapter 10 is a good reminder for all Christians, but especially us as Lutherans, that the gospel of Jesus Christ will most certainly face hostility from every corner of the world. We've seen it play out in history, from civic authorities and religious powers alike, not just 500 years ago, but today as well. So as we, as a church here at Redeemer, continue to take steps to join Jesus on his mission to reach the lost and the hurting, we're going to hear our Lord offer us, as his disciples, a sensible warning with a powerful promise. A sensible warning with a powerful promise. And it's the sensible warning that comes at the start of the text today. Jesus says this, he says, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. Now, Jesus is using some animal imagery that was proverbial in its meaning. That is, these were well-known images that he could use that would quickly convey some meaning to the audience. And the animal imagery here is of sheep among wolves, and it's, it's meant to say that any disciple who joins Jesus on his mission will head out to just natural hostility. No Christian is to get the idea that, that, there are, that there's no such thing as spiritually or even physical dangers that result from following Jesus Christ. There are such dangers. We can't pretend that they don't exist. But the animal imagery of being shrewd as snakes means followers of Jesus are not, even though they go out as sheep among wolves, and in other words, to a hostile, dangerous place, we are at the same time not to exhibit the stupidity of sheep. You see, snakes were well known for their shrewdness, their sense of self-preservation. The reason why snakes lurk under rocks and in bushes is quite simple. They don't want to be seen. They don't want to be trampled on. 
And Jesus is saying the disciples of his should not be helpless and gullible. They are sheep among wolves. They're in a dangerous place, but they're shrewd instead of stupid, basically is what he's, what he's getting at. Now, taking these words to heart, we Christians should think about what we say. We should not seek or invite hostility because there will be plenty of hostility already. We've got to be shrewd. So to be loud and proud, boisterous and bombastic, these are tactics that fit right into a world where discourse is so dominated by social media, where every incentive is to get as many outraged eyeballs on you as possible. But that kind of behavior is a world apart from the apostolic instruction to let your conversations be always full of grace, as Colossians chapter 4 says or to, to share the reason for your hope with gentleness and respect, as 1 Peter chapter 3 says. Indeed, that's why Jesus also says, be innocent as doves. Basically, we're supposed to have all the cunning of snakes, but without the venom. All the cunning of snakes, without the venom. So not only are we to be gracious and respectful and humble in our words and actions, so we don't invite unnecessary hostility, we are also supposed to be innocent in the process. We're supposed to actually kind of sidestep and just get away from the kind of bad faith or passive-aggressive attitudes that are so pervasive, even rewarded in our culture today. We are to avoid inviting offense, yes, but we are also to keep from nursing offenses and enjoying them as well. And that's kind of maybe where it, where it gets hard. I mean, maybe some of us are a little bombastic, uh, but it doesn't strike me as a real strong characteristic of our church culture. But I think it's a little easier because we can do it more in private to, to kind of go find offense and nurse it. You know, nothing feels quite as right as being wronged. And we're well-practiced in finding some outrage or some injustice, some hypocrisy, some in Christ, in, inconsistency in how Christians are treated by, by government or by business or by universities, by you know, you name it. We know what websites to visit to stoke our animus, and we know which social media feeds to follow to get a daily dose of some outrageous new offense. We know where to tune our radio or to point our TV to get that dose of outrage. And more often than not, we kind of like it. We might even really like it. And we nurse that, that offense. We go find it and we say, see, look at this, look at that. But that is not the way of Christ. That is not what it means to be shrewd as snakes. And it definitely is not what it means to be innocent as doves. Jesus says to be both. Don't act as if the gospel or the opposition the gospel faces is some new thing, as if you're the first to discover it. Jesus is telling you to expect it, and he's telling to keep you keep your eyes on the prize, as it were. Don't seek to be offensive. That doesn't do any good. And don't seek to be offended either. That's not his mission. Instead, be shrewd. Move on, right? Get back at the work he's called us to do. Being outraged over something does nothing to, to bring folks into the kingdom of Christ. That is the Lord's sensible warning for every one of his followers, especially the ones who go out into the world as he commands. A sensible warning, which he follows with a powerful promise. Jesus says he will equip each and every Christian with exactly what they need to stand strong in difficult days. He says, we will have the words to say, and those words will come from the Father himself. 
This is what Jesus said. When they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Which, you know, is a promise that makes a lot of sense with everything else we know about God. You think about God's promise to provide everything you need for your body and life, for example. Jesus taught his disciples to consider the way God provides for the birds of the air and the flowers of the field in order to put their worry to rest. He said, don't worry, God knows how to provide. And the logic Jesus used was quite simple. If God knows how to care and clothe the birds and the buds, then surely he knows how to care for you, who are even more precious in his sight. And here Jesus is drawing on the same kind of logic. If God knows and addresses the necessity of food and clothing, then surely he recognizes that the right words to speak in the right situation are just as much a necessity that relies just as much on his providence. God provides just what we need right when we need it. But just as we don't sit in our kitchen all day and stare blankly at the cupboards waiting for God to make food magically appear there, so also we don't go out into the world waiting for God to zap us with some kind of ecstatic utterance every time we are given an opportunity to stand for what is true or to communicate what is good. No, we are to read and to study and digest the word of God so that his words become such a part of us that they naturally come out of us when the time is right. You know the saying, you are what you eat? It's the same way with the word. You take the word in. The Bible even talks about eating it, making it your food. That's how the Father provides, and his promise to do so stands true today. So we can't neglect the reading of his word, the study of his word, the hearing of his word. And if we don't neglect it, then you and I will not fail to grow in his word, for that's God's promise. Again, this is why it's so vital for Christians today to set aside the culture of getting offended and nursing grievances. If all you study and all you practice is the language of grievance, then when God presents you with an opportunity to speak the gospel of grace, you'll be left silent. You won't have had any practice in the kind of word that God speaks. And so it won't come out of you. But if you are attuned to his word and the work of the spirit that God does through the word, then you'll have what you need. You'll be trained, saturated, shaped, fashioned by the word. And when the time comes, you'll have the resources to say what needs to be said. And it will not be your words, of course. It will be God's word that you are speaking. And through that, God will do his work. And that will make all the difference. God can't leave you alone in those situations. He really can't. He can't look at you and your weaknesses and your secret sins and say, not you, I can't help you. You're on your own, pal. He can't abandon you because when he looks at you, he sees his son. The scriptures explain that anyone who has been baptized into Christ is now clothed with Christ. That means God does not love you sentimentally like you're some cute and endearing pet. It means God loves, doesn't love you uh, transactionally, like you're worth something only because you provide something valuable. No, he loves you justly, that is, according to reality, according to the facts at hand. He loves you because you are lovely. And you are lovely because you are in Christ. And Christ has faced all the music. He's seen the rejection by his own people, betrayal by those closest to him, being dragged before the authorities, even being forsaken by God the Father on the cross. Jesus has suffered the depths of hell itself, and there is is only, and the only valid 
explanation for why is this. He did so because he was standing in your place. He faced what your sin had earned and what my iniquity had invited, and he did so willingly, not as a victim, but as a hero, the hero of heroes, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords. And because the Jesus who suffered in your stead is also perfect and righteous and just and holy and good in ways our words don't even begin to describe, all that goodness is therefore draped on your shoulders as your personal garment, your true and perfect clothing. So yes, the world will come after you and will come after me. We will face trials and troubles and rejection and maybe even far worse. But we'll be clothed in Christ the whole way, protected by his angels, and always attached to his great promise that the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And you will stand firm because you stand not alone in your own strength, but you stand in Christ. And he stood facing the cross. He stood facing death. And after that, he stood outside his own tomb. He is alive. He is with us. He is with you. And his powerful promises are with us through all days. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds through faith in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let's now confess our Christian faith using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, hear my prayer. Listen to my cry for mercy. In your faithfulness and righteousness, come to my relief. Spare us, Lord, from the lies of the devil and the attacks of our conscience. Comfort and save us in your patient compassion. Have mercy on us, Jesus. Guide us, Lord, to the wisdom of your word and the power of your promises. Take away our confusion and doubt. Have mercy on us, Jesus. Hear us, Lord, when we come to you in prayer. Make us confident to take you at your word and follow you in faith. Have mercy on us, Jesus. Empower us, Lord, to walk in your ways and live in your truth. Fill us with your love that we may love you and one another. Have mercy on us, Jesus. Almighty God, by your Spirit, the whole body of the Church is governed and sanctified. Receive our prayers for all members of your Holy Church that in their vocations and ministries they may truly serve and honor you. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord's Prayer Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power 
and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. The Almighty and merciful Lord, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, bless us and keep us. Amen.